0: Welcome in, welcome aboard, coming off what was a very busy sports weekend, Seth Goldberg with you here on a show to be named later. We are rolling, it is Monday, July 23rd, 2018, and boy do we have a couple things that I want to get to here. Of course, we've got Tiger Woods, his charge through the Open Championship yesterday. And we'll get to that, but I need to start off with the New York Mets. Not for anything they did on the field, but for the awful, embarrassing weekend they had off of it. So we'll get to Tiger Woods a little bit later on in the show, but let's start in Flushing at Citi Field and this weekend at Yankee Stadium with the New York Mets. Because yes, they won a game against the Yankees, and and to the Mets and to their fans, especially in a down year, that means everything, right? That means the world to be able to win a game against the New York Yankees. It really does. I was at one of the Subway Series games earlier in the year, and and I was at the one where the Mets beat the Yankees Sunday night at City Field, and you could see how much it meant to Met fans to win that game. So that's a big deal for them on Friday night except everything else they did was a mess, an absolute mess, an abomination, an embarrassment, whatever word you want to use. Everything else they did was wrong. Let's start, I guess, in semi-chronological order here. They don't use Jerry's Familia Friday night because they're getting close to a trade, which makes sense, right? That's what you do if you're going to trade a guy. But once the trade is consummated, once the trade is made and announced and you see the pieces coming back, you have to question what the Mets are doing. They get two minor leaguers and international slot money. They unload their $3 million salary of Familia. And it looks like it's the same old Mets. It looks like nothing changed in the operations of the Mets. They will always make the deal that gets them out of the most money. They will always make the deal that costs them the least. Because that's how the Mets operate, because that's how the Mets have operated and will operate. That's the New York Mets. And that's what they did in trading a legitimate asset in Jerry's Familia. They could have gotten something back. They could have netted a legitimate package for Jerry's Familia. And instead, they end up with two minor leaguers, a reliever who's already 26, and a third baseman who's not hitting very well at single A, and a million dollars to go use in the international signing market. They got a very low return. Jerry's Familia is having a phenomenal year. He's been really good for the Mets, yet this is what they get. They get little to no return for a guy of all-star caliber, for a good relief pitcher. He's not Araldis Chapman. He's not Andrew Miller. He's not maybe Zach Britton when Britton was healthy, but he's really good, right? He's among the top relievers that are on the market this summer, and that's what you got back for him. That's what you got back for him 11 days before the trade deadline when you could have waited, when you could have held on, when you could have waited teams out and asked for and demanded more, you got this. That's why this trade is so bad. This was not up against the deadline. They could have waited. They should have waited. And instead they end up with an embarrassing return for a very good reliever. And don't just take my word for it. Go read columns by Keith Law on ESPN.com. Go read Jeff Passon's column on Yahoo Sports. And, and Jeff's column uh, goes into a little bit of the more than just this trade of what happened this weekend. But both of them really good. Both of them pointing out the embarrassing types of return. And Keith Law out and out calling out Mets ownership, which is what needs to happen. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But you follow that up. You follow up the familia thing with whatever was going on with Ioannis Cespedes on Friday night. And Ioannis Cespedes comes back, plays Friday night, fans are happy, people are excited. He hasn't played in nine weeks. He's going to be back. Yes, great, awesome, can't wait. Until after the game when he says he might need surgery. After the game when he says this surgery can keep him out eight to ten months and that he's going to wait until the offseason to have it. And when you listen last night and see Buster only on ESPN talking about how devastating an injury this is, when you hear him talking about how maybe that's not an accurate timeline for the injury, and it could be longer than what Yohannes Cespedes said, you really have to question Cespedes. You really have to question the Mets. And you really have to wonder, why in the world would you wait until the off season to get this surgery done? Why would you put this off? Because if it's going to take 10 months to come back, if it's going to take 8 months to come back, do it now. Miss the next 8 months. Don't put this off. Don't wait 3 months to have surgery, miss 10 months. Miss your time now. Miss your time in a lost season. And when the Mets can't get their message together, when Mickey Calloway comes out on Saturday afternoon and says, oh, that was, that's the first I'm hearing of this, it looks bad. It looks like you're not even the same team. It looks like you're not even working for the same people. And that's where we are with the New York Mets. An organization in dysfunction. An organization that doesn't seem to know its direction. And this is without getting into the Noah Syndergaard getting sick while doing a great thing. Because that's just the only that happens to the Mets story. That's not an incompetence story. It was just a cherry on top of the Sunday this weekend. That Noah Syndergaard got sick. That Noah Syndergaard caught Something that only kids have, because during the All-Star break, he was doing a good thing and working with kids. Only the Mets that can happen to, right? Only the Mets. The cherry on top. You've had these issues now with the Mets for, what, the last 15 years? You've had this gross incompetence. It doesn't matter who's managing the team. It doesn't matter who's the front office of the team. Doesn't matter if it's Omar Minaya or Sandy Alderson or this three-headed monster that they've got making decisions right now or maybe not making decisions right now. One thing has been constant since the Wilpons took control of the franchise, and that is that the Mets are an absolute mess. And this is what it comes down to. Nothing will change until that changes. The New York Mets will not change. The New York Mets will not be better. The New York Mets will not be more successful until ownership changes. The Mets right now are in the same boat as the Knicks. It doesn't matter who you bring in to run the ship. It doesn't matter how, res- how well respected your general manager is how well-respected your president of basketball or baseball operations is, how well-respected your manager or coach is. It does not matter. Because the people at the top are still incompetent. Whether it is Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon or James Dolan. The people at the top are causing problems. And right now, that's the Mets' biggest problem. Reading Jeff Passon's column from Yahoo Sports earlier today, where he says that talking to rival execs, maybe they don't think that the three-headed monster of John Ricco, J.P. Rashardi, and Omar Minaya are the ones making the decisions, but in fact, they're just giving recommendations to Fred and Jeff Wilpon. That the Wilpons are making the final call on whatever personnel moves they are making right now. That shows you something. Their general manager takes a leave of absence. And they don't just say, hey, we'll we'll fill it with one guy. Hey, we'll fill this hole with John Ricco, who might be the next GM, who's ready to probably be a general manager. No, they didn't do that. The Mets did not do that. Instead, they went with a three-headed approach, a three-pronged approach. And when you've got that many cooks in the kitchen, you can't make decisions. When you have that many point people, you have no point person. And I think that's the situation that the Mets find themselves in now. Because of the... Terrible way this franchise has been run and is being run. They find themselves in trouble. They find themselves incompetent. They find themselves stumbling over themselves as everything goes wrong and crashes down around them. Think about this weekend. Yoannis Cespedes' injury, the trade of Jerry's familia, how bad Mickey Calloway looked on Saturday. Some of this stuff was avoidable. Don't bring back Cespedes. Have better communication with them. Know what's going on. Have a better line of communications between your star player, your front office, and your manager. That shouldn't be difficult. These things are avoidable. Trade Jerry's Familia. And if you don't trade him for a better package, at least be held accountable. Because that's something else I saw this weekend from Mets beat writers, from Mets, beat, from Mets fans. You trade this reliever, you get an underwhelming package back, and nobody is available from the front office to speak about this move. I mean, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing? It's absolutely incredible to me what this weekend showed. We all know it's there with the Mets. We all know that this mess is lying underneath the wave here. We know that's out there. But it all bubbled up to the surface this weekend. Injury issues that won't go away. Even after getting rid of the entire medical staff from the previous regime. From, from the previous coaching staff. It doesn't seem to matter. This franchise is cursed. And I don't mean like on a ancient burial ground type cursed. I mean they have terrible owners. I mean they have bad ownership. I mean they are cursed at the top. And all this stuff trickles down. Everything you do comes from the owner. Front office attitude and mentality, coaching attitude and mentality, it all comes from the owner. And right now for the Mets, that's a bad thing. Before we get to Tiger Woods and the Open Championship and, and some golf talk here to wrap up the podcast, let me remind you that if you missed any of our shows, you can get caught up with our best of podcasts on the block on demand with Brent Axe, the Daniel Baldwin Show and Orange Nation when we return on August 6th. They're all on ESPNSyracuse.com. They're all on our iTunes feed. Get them delivered straight to your phone every day just subscribe on itunes search espn syracuse look you're listening to a podcast right now you know where to find the podcast so just go listen to all the other ones that we've got on espn syracuse and while you are on espn syracuse.com check out the audio vault as well Uh, you'll find interviews nice and neatly packaged there for you uh, each and every day from our shows so check out the interviews in the audio vault Check out the podcast on our podcast page and on the iTunes feed, and you can get caught up on everything that you missed here on ESPN Radio. All right, back to a show to be named later. All right, back here on a show to be named later, and I do want to wrap up with some golf talk, and really when I say golf talk, I mean Tiger talk, because this weekend, this Open Championship, Tiger looked back to being Tiger, at least for, like, 27 holes, right? At least for, like... 28 holes he looked like tiger when you watched him saturday he was birdieing putts he, w- he was birdieing holes i should say making putts hitting the right shot uh making some impressive shots i should note on sunday uh one out of the bunker that that went what 150 yards and just perfectly onto the green He looked great and he charged up the leaderboard on Saturday and on Sunday early he was doing the same and he was putting himself in position and on Sunday he gets into the lead. He held an outright lead at a major on Sunday. The first time Tiger had done that in nearly a decade. Last time Tiger led a major outright on a Sunday was 2009 at the PGA Championship. It had been a while. But we got that yesterday. right? We got that on Sunday. Tiger Woods was leading in a major on a Sunday afternoon. And you got this feeling that maybe he could do it. Maybe he could pull it off. And then it all came crumbling down. And then it all came crashing apart, right? It all fell apart after the 11th hole. Started on the 11th hole. But it all fell apart from there shot two over on the last seven, eight holes of the the round, and struggled to, to really finish it off. Now, I'm young. I watched golf a little bit when I was younger, really just to watch Tiger. And the thing that I remember about Tiger and the difference in what he did Sunday and what he did this weekend as to where he had been, you know, 15 years ago, Is that 15 years ago, Tiger finishes it off. 15 years ago, Tiger Woods gets that lead and he knows where he is. He knows what he's doing. And he does not possibly let anybody else get in front of him. He goes out and hits par the rest of the way. He goes out and hits birdie if he has to. Tiger Woods, 15 years ago, finishes that off. And part of that may be because of the physical nature of the game, right? Tiger was physically a better golfer 15 years ago than he is now. Part of that might be the mental aspect of the game as well. Obviously, 15 years ago, Tiger may be a little bit more confident in his game than he is now. And I mean, why wouldn't you be? Look at what Tiger's done the last five, six years. It has been a lot of nothing. And part of that, too, I think, is the mental edge, right? The edge that he had over everybody else. And this idea that Tiger was just this freak. Tiger was just this mental freak. And when you heard him coming, when you heard him making his charge, when you heard those roars two greens ahead of yours, you were nervous. You crumbled. You fell apart. And that clearly wasn't there on Sunday. That clearly was not there yesterday in Scotland. Because his playing partner went and won the tournament. Because the guy he was playing with, the guy who was there playing through the cheers, playing through the roars, playing through a raucous crowd, following them around all day and hoping that Tiger would hit shot after shot and make putt after putt. That guy, who had to sit next to him, who had to watch this, who had to watch the other fans and all the fans really actively rooting against him, he won. I'm not just saying had the better round. He won. He had the tournament title. He won the Open. Not Tiger Woods, but Tiger's playing partner was the one who went bogey-free on a Sunday. Not Tiger Woods, but Tiger's playing partner, the one who held the the claret jug at the end of the weekend. When you look at the difference between Tiger Woods now and Tiger Woods in his prime, that's got to play into it. The mental aspect of the game has to play in. And I know that the physical aspect is there. Tiger said surgery after surgery, working his way back. I get all that. But how can you doubt the impact that the, of the mental aspect? How can you doubt the impact of that? I know I'm going to beat you. These fans all know I'm going to beat you. And most importantly, you know that I'm going to beat you. How important was that? And we may have underestimated it. We may have underestimated it as we were watching. As we were watching a 10-plus year run of just absolute greatness. We might have underestimated that as a contributing factor to his success. Because I think looking back, that's the most remarkable thing. Yeah, sure, there's the physical stuff. Yeah, he could hit the ball a mile. Yeah, he was a good putter. Yeah, he had a good short game. I get all that. That mental thing, that'll break you down. That'll wear you out. That's the stuff that's crazy to me. That's the stuff that's impressive to me. And clearly on Sunday at Carnoustie, clearly it wasn't there. Not for the other players, and I don't know that it was there for Tiger either. I don't know that Tiger had that confidence built up. That I know I'm going to win. You know I'm going to win. feeling. And I don't think that the players playing against him had that feeling either. Rory McIlroy basically said as much after his round. After the round, Rory was asked about this. He was asked about Tiger. He was talking about Tiger. And he said the Tiger is not feared quite like he was in his prime. It's a different Tiger that the golfers now have to deal with. With Rory saying, quote, Not the Tiger that Phil and Ernie and those guys had to deal with. It's a different version. But he's right there. He's getting himself in the mix. He looked good in D.C. a couple weeks back. He looked good here. Think about what Rory McElroy is saying there. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, hey, this guy's still good. Hey, this guy's still competitive. Hey, this guy's still a really good golfer and could go win some events. But he doesn't have that mental edge over us that he did over Phil Mickelson, over Ernie Els, over Vijay Singh, over anybody else. That edge isn't there. And if I had to guess why, it's because these guys were growing up watching him not playing against him. They were sitting on their couch watching Tiger Woods beat Phil Mickelson, beat Ernie Els, beat Vijay Singh, beat anybody else who came his way. They weren't the ones losing to him. They weren't the ones going through it week after week. Wondering, hey, is this going to be my chance? Is this going to be my opportunity to win? Or am I going to be sitting here again, head in my hands, knowing that Tiger's the one who was holding the trophy up at the end of the weekend. They weren't there. They don't have those those aftershocks, that PTSD, so to speak. They don't have that because they weren't there. They weren't playing. That effect doesn't work on them. They're over it. It's a remarkable transformation to watch. This would have been an incredible cap on his comeback. Because this is remarkable. If, he, if Tiger Woods can come back and win a major championship, after everything, after the sex scandal, after the back surgery, after another back surgery, after all the years away, after not winning one for more than a decade, this would be incredible. Nothing short of incredible. And it may still happen in time. And I think that this weekend was a sign that it very well could happen at some point. It just didn't happen this weekend and it's going to be a little more difficult than it was 15 years ago for tiger to get done that does it for us today on a show to be named later we'll be back tomorrow with more plenty more as we uh head closer to football think about that we're almost at football season training camps opening up su football training camp opening up in about a week and a half We'll get it all covered here on a show to be named later. We'll talk to you later.